Hello and how are you? It is another day. It is a wonderful day. And this is Alice coming to you from Total Health Academy, where we talk about all things total health. So today, our topic today is, um, we're still dealing with um, digestive system problems. Uh, and our topic today is irritable bowel syndrome. So a syndrome is a combination of uh, symptoms. And most of the time, if you hear the word syndrome, that means they, they do not know uh, what's causing it, number one. The other thing is for different people, the symptoms are not always going to be the same. So it's unpredictable. Uh, some people may have different symptoms from other people who have the same problem. So that's why it's called a syndrome. Um, the other name for this um, disorder, I'll call it a disorder. I can call it a disease because um, a disease means that things are no longer at ease. Okay, so the other name for this syndrome is IBS. IBS stands for irritable bowel syndrome or spastic colon. So that's the other name for irritable bowel syndrome. Now, for a spastic colon, uh, anything, anytime you hear the word spastic or spasms, that means the muscles are tightening. Uh, sometimes they stiffen and it causes pain. And it also causes inability of food to pass through, especially when a um, a, a, a problem like this affects the colon, you know, spastic colon. So the colon tightens and it stiffens. Um, it is a common problem and is uh, characterized by constipation. Some people have constipation. Other people have diarrhea. Uh, so it can go either way. Some people have mixed mixed constipation like this one you know this week they may suffer from constipation next week they're having diarrhea so that is mixed irritable bowel syndrome other people it's normally uh, constipation and other people it is usually diarrhea now with them they also have abdominal clamping abdominal pain that's belly pain or gut pain uh, sometimes brooding and 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 uh, gas, you know. Uh, so spastic colon, it the, the it kind of has spontaneous contraction or spontaneous mortality, and that usually is the one that when when the colon is spastic, that is the time that it, you, somebody will have like small. Uh, small frequent stools and with some people the small intestine and the large intestine are affected that is with some people especially if they have um, a severe case of irritable bowel syndrome the, the small intestine and the large intestine could be affected uh, the cause and severity of IBS or irritable bowel syndrome varies from person to person. And that's why I was saying it's called a syndrome because uh, sometimes you see different signs and symptoms with different people. And the treatment 
the treatment for this condition is always geared at relieving the symptoms. So somebody could be given a muscle relaxant. Sometimes they are given a laxative. Sometimes they are given uh, something to stop the spasms. Uh, so they can have like a regular bowel movement. But the treatment is always geared towards relieving the symptoms. And that could also include, include changing the diet. But actually, doing that will relieve symptoms, but that, that is treatment, but that doesn't mean that the condition is gone. So even if the symptoms are no longer there, the problem is still there because you didn't deal with the problems, you only dealt with the fruit of the problem. And that is the reason why I'm making this podcast. As a matter of fact, that's why I started Total Health Academy. So we can talk about these things and dissect some of these problems that bother people. So all in all, even though um, the symptoms are noted when people eat certain foods, this is not a dietary problem. And that, that is where everybody, I lose everybody when I say that. Because people say, but the food seems to be the one that's affecting it. It is when I eat gluten, that's when I have this problem. Or it is when I drink milk that I have this problem. Or it is when I eat sugar or starchy foods that I have this problem. So they change the diet. They might do a lactose-free diet or dietary-free diet. They might do a gluten-free diet. They might do carbohydrate, low-carbohydrate diet, like maybe a ketogenic diet. And the symptoms, they feel better. And they think that the food, so the food always gets the bad rap. I will hear people say, oh, milk is not good for you. Milk is toxic. Milk is poisonous. Somebody else will come and say, well, starches are not good for you. A low-carb diet is the best thing for you because sugar and starch and carbohydrate, it is bad for you. Somebody else will come and say, well, gluten is toxic. You know, so you hear the food being blamed. But nobody um, sits down to say, okay, how come some people can eat gluten? Like, I love eating gluten. I love it. I eat it all the time and it never bothers me. I can drink milk and it won't bother me. So how come some people can eat these so-called bad foods and they don't have any problem? So that's, so I need you to think about that and then we'll, we'll dissect the problem. Let's go over the symptoms again. So like I said before, the symptoms vary from person to person and most of the time they are chronic. It's like, if you don't do something, this problem is not going to go away. That will be abdom abdominal pain, cramping, brooding, that is related to passing, um, that is related sometimes to passing a bowel movement, uh, changes in appearance of bowel movements, changes in how um, after having a bowel movement, uh, somebody feels like different. Um, you know, those kind of things. So, and, and also the bowel movement is different. 
you know, sometimes the texture may be different. Sometimes this tool will be really hard and hard to come out. Other times it's loose. Sometimes even sometimes you may see undigested food coming out soon. Those are the changes in the bowel movement. Uh, some people may have gas. And sometimes um, they will also notice mucus or increased mucus in their bowels. So when does one see a doctor? When you start having weight loss, you need to see a doctor right away. Um, when diarrhea is waking you up at night, you need to see a doctor. If you're having lectal bleeding, because sometimes people have so much diarrhea, they have so much stools, um, they start seeing blood in their stool. That is rectal bleed. So you need to see a doctor. If you go to the doctor and the doctor tells you that you have iron deficiency or you start having symptoms of iron deficiency where you're feeling tired, fatigued, uh, those kind of things, uh, shortness of breath even, um, those kind of things, unexplained vomiting. Like if you eat food and you just start vomiting for no reason at all, it's time to see a doctor. Difficulty swallowing food. Number one, if somebody is having difficult swallowing food, that actually could be a sign of gastric cancer or cancer of the stomach. So it is so important to go see the doctor so you can get an accurate diagnosis and you can start treatment as soon as possible. And then after you get the diagnosis and you start treatment, then you need to get in touch with me so we can talk about the root cause because um, the doctor will probably not have time to deal with the root cause with you. Number one, it is very time consuming. The second thing is not many people do not understand that there is always a root cause for disease and sickness. Uh, they think sometimes people think, well, they bring the food. <laughs> like in this condition, most people bring the food, so they avoid the food, but they don't realize that there is something else going on. And you don't want to you don't want to incubate a disease like this by um, changing your diet and maybe even taking medication for it. And then five years down the road, uh, something else goes wrong because you never dealt with the root cause. That's why you're going to need to get in touch with me so I can help you deal with the root cause and eliminate it. And then you're not going to need uh, changing your diet, you're going to be able to digest your food properly. Um, you also are going to be able to eat whatever you want and not have any problem. So yeah, because the body has ability to heal itself. So it's so important. Once you get the accurate diagnosis, you get treatment, that is not the end of the story. The end of the story is when we find out what is causing the problem and remove that problem. Okay, so um, you do need to see the doctor so they can rule out colon cancer and gastric cancer because those also can mimic themselves as irritable bowel syndrome. Um, 
there is no actual test for irritable bowel syndrome though but when you go to the doctor they will do a complete medical history they will rule out other diseases like um maybe uh food allergies because sometimes food allergies also they they really will not cause food allergies will never cause um irritable bowel syndrome but sometimes they this the signs and symptoms almost mimic irritable bowel syndrome but if you're allergic to say uh, milk if you're allergic to wheat if you're allergic to other things in the carbohydrate group or starchy foods like maybe sucrose or sorbitol you know those kind of sugars the the symptoms will almost mimic irritable bowel syndrome but it's not the same disease so that's why it's so important to get an accurate diagnosis. So what is the doctor going to do? They're going to probably do some testing. They're going to rule out celiac disease, uh, which also looks like irritable bowel syndrome. That need to be diagnosed because um, we, it's, it's, also, it's, it's inherited, number one, and the root cause is different. At some point, I'll come back and I'll do celiac disease and i also do gluten intolerance i feel ready to do gluten intolerance um the other day i just did carbohydrate intolerance and i did a lactose intolerance podcast but the lactose intolerance is not playing so i may have to re-record that again when i have time but the carbohydrate intolerance is there um so you can go listen to it now if you have irritable bowel syndrome like i said this is a chronic disease and the longer somebody stays with this problem the worse it gets as they get older so the doctor will do x-rays they might do x-rays of your stomach just to see um if what's going on you know with the colon they can they can see constipation and um other issues with an x-ray sometimes they might do a, a ct scan that gives more detailed information sometimes they might do a colonoscopy that is looking at the colon itself to see if there's maybe cancer polyps um sometimes they might do what we call a napa endoscopy a napa endoscopy is just like a colonoscopy but this time they're going through the mouth instead of the other head when they do a colonoscopy they will be going through the mouth and they put a tube with um camera and it takes pictures of the stomach and parts of um the small intestine so that is needed uh, they might also do a biopsy. If they're going to do an endoscopy, they will do a biopsy uh, to rule out gastric cancer and small intestine problems, uh, to rule out celiac disease also, and uh, irritable bowel disease, which is irritable bowel disease is different from irritable bowel syndrome, but all those things need to be ruled out. So with an endoscopy, they can also rule out ulcers in the stomach. And did I say stomach cancer? I cannot um, stop saying that because I had a friend die of stomach cancer and they used to get indigestion. And when they went to the doctor, they got Melox, anti-acid. And by the time they realized that he had cancer, the cancer had spread. And um, 
he never made it. So it is so important that we rule out cancer because the, uh, the sooner we um, find cancer, the better it is to treat it, number one. But then you can also eradicate cancer, actually, if you know the root cause. And again, that's why I'm here. So other lab tests that could be done is lactose intolerance test. Because with irritable bowel syndrome, you really want to get these things out of the way to, to get an accurate diagnosis. They might do a breath test um, to rule out bacteria overgrowth. They might do a stool test, um, testing the stool um, to rule out bacteria or parasites. Uh, they might do the biopsy that I was saying to rule out celiac disease. Now, the triggers for irritable bowel syndrome. Most people always think it's food, um, but actually scientists say that the triggers are not fully understood. And sometimes food allergies are confused with irritable bowel syndrome, even though food allergies will never cause um, irritable bowel syndrome. But the symptoms kind of, you know, it's confusing the way the symptoms present themselves. Um, certain people have severe symptoms, uh, when they eat or drink certain foods and those foods will be like wheat, um, gluten, dairy products, citrus fruits, beans, cabbage, milk, carbonated drinks. Um, and so that's why people bring the food, you know? always brimming the food, but actually this is not a food issue. Um, it is something else. And that's what I want to discuss with you, but I cannot do it on this podcast because it requires a personal analysis. Like I said, um, things are not always caused by the same things. So it's not um, one size fits all kind of thing. So I need your history. I need your family history. I also need to know any other issues that you have. And I'm, with, that, with that information, I'm able to connect the dots and I can tell you what's really causing the problem. There is only five reasons, five, five reasons why we get sick. But there is like over, maybe over 40 reasons why we don't heal. And that is an area that most people don't understand. And that's what I would like to discuss with you. So let's talk about irritable bowel syndrome and the treatments that are out there. What are the treatments with irritable bowel syndrome? uh, Avoiding foods that trigger the symptoms is the main, is the gold standard of treating this problem. So people are advised to eat like a high fiber diet, uh, drink plenty of fluids, exercise, get enough sleep, and avoid the foods that cause um, uh, uh, a lot of gas, like avoid gluten, avoid milk, eliminate this from the diet, eliminate that from the diet. But is that the answer? And like I said, 
it is not the answer. It might help you temporarily relieve the symptoms, but you definitely, definitely need to find out what is wrong and what is causing the problem. Now, risk factors for this condition is young people are generally affected before the age of 50, even though you can see the problem with just about any age group, but mostly it's younger people. Uh, females are affected more than men. And also if there's a family history, um, inherited issues, um, you will find that if there's a family history, some people in the same family can be affected by lactose intolerance. Some people in the same family can be affected by gluten. Some people in the same family can be affected by carbohydrate. Or they might, you might see somebody who has carbohydrate intolerance and another one who has irritable bowel disease and another one who has irritable bowel syndrome. So these are just, um, the root cause may be the same, it's only that the people are different and they are able to handle some things differently. And so you see all this range of symptoms. Now, complication of this problem, complication of irritable bowel syndrome. Uh, the number one complication is poor quality of life. Most people are always sick, so they might call out from work more often than other people. If it's children, they miss school. So there is poor quality of life. And when they go out, they have to be careful what they eat because they might eat something that might trigger their symptoms and then they will end up not feeling good. Um, the other complication for this disorder is mood disorder. You know, over time, because it's a chronic problem, it increases depression and anxiety because people don't know when they might get an attack, you know. So it increases anxiety because there is that unpredictability of when they could get an attack. And, you know, with chronic anxiety, it always leads to depression, Chronic anxiety will follow depression as day follows night. Those two go hand in hand, but the one that shows first is anxiety. And then over time, you might find somebody becoming depressed. So the root, uh, the, according to science, what causes this problem? And I love this. I always add with a cause, but I never go very deep. I just, because um, I would like to get science out of the way so we can talk about the things that really matter. Uh, so I like to see what the scientists think is the problem. And then uh, we'll let you get in touch with me so we can uh, talk about the other things that scientists do not see. Because a human being has parts that are hidden and you, you cannot see them. But if you understand the hidden, um, the hidden universe, the hidden um, parts of a human being, you can understand what is causing the problem. But that is not something you ever be able to see with your eyes, or um, that can be uh, tested per se. It's not something that can be touched. But if you understand the hidden world then you can understand that. The problem is not too many people understand that world. So according to science, 
the precise cause of irritable bowel syndrome is not known. That is what the scientists have to say. So let me repeat that. The precise cause of irritable bowel syndrome is not known. Factors that appear to play the role, and this is where I thank the scientists so much for the work that they have done, because really they have nailed the problem. The only thing is they cannot get to the precise thing. So that makes my work very easy because I, I, I understand issues about the hidden world. I understand things about the hidden parts of a human being. And the, the scientists make my work very easy. I'm able to connect the dots very quickly. So they have found factors that appear to play the role. And some of the factors they came up with were the muscle contraction in the intestine. Um, they are stronger than normal. The muscle contraction also la lasts a little longer than normal. And this ends up causing gas and brooding and diarrhea and sometimes constipation. Um, sometimes the muscles, the contractions are weak. Sometimes they are. And when this happens, uh, the food passage is slowed down and the stool becomes hard and dry, and so it's difficult for someone to pass it because it's hard and dry. So that is one of the things that they found out, that there is muscle contraction. But what I would ask you, what is causing the irritable muscle con con construct contraction? What is causing that? What is causing it to be stronger than normal? What is causing it to last longer than normal? And when they, when you, or somebody has weak intestinal muscle contraction, what is causing that? So that's what we're going to talk about. So the number two thing that they found out is that the nervous system is involved and there's abnormalities with the nervous system, um, the central nervous system. Um, there is poor coordination signals between the brain and the intestine because, you know, there is that brain-gut connection. Um, actually, the intestine or the stomach or the digestive system, some people refer to it as the second brain. So there is poor coordination. That's what the, um, the scientists say, that there is poor coordination between the brain and the intestines. Anytime you hear the brain is affected, always know that the mind is also affected. And because the brain is controlled by the mind. Now the mind, we cannot see the mind, but we can see the brain. And so the mind is part of the hidden parts of a human being. We know it's there, but we cannot see it and we cannot test it. And that is the area that I'm going to focus on because as far as I'm concerned, all diseases, they all start in the mind. Okay, now moving right along, the third thing that the scientists found out that there could be a severe infection going on in your gut. Sometimes there's bacteria overgrowth and we know that we have um, a multitude of bacteria in the, in the colon. Those bacteria are, um, they're small um, microbes. There are bacteria that are um, helpful 
They help us make things. There is fungi, there is viruses. They, they usually reside in the large intestine and sometimes in the small intestine. And they help. Their role is to help with digestion. So they are supposed to be working for us. But in this case, in the case of irritable bowel syndrome, they stop working for us and they start working against us. Now, the small, bowels, um, uh, inter- the small bowels or the small intestine is about 20 feet in length. And the small intestine is the workhorse of the digestive system. That is where most of the food gets broken down a lot. Actually, the digestion actually starts in the mouth. You know, when we chew the food and we mix it up with saliva, saliva has um, an enzyme called amylase and it starts to break the food down. And then the food goes in the stomach and is mixed with um, gastric juices and is broken down further. And then it goes into the small intestine and more enzymes are released in, in the intestine. Some of them come from the pancreas. Others are made in the intestine, the small intestine. They are called the brush boulder enzymes, and they all help in the work of the digestion. Now, whatever is left out is dumped in the colon, and in the colon, that's where you find the microbiome. And they chew up on whatever is left. They chew up on um, the soluble um, uh, fibers, and they spit out vitamins. They make vitamins. They make neuro. Uh, transmitters they like serotonin is made in the gut Uh, many other vitamins are made in the gut and all that is supposed to help us but now when the small intestine the workhorse of the digestive system when it's not doing its work properly then undigested food is dumped in the colon where the small bacteria is um and in the in the, um, oh, I thought my phone was not working there for a minute, <laughs> but it is working. So this food that is not completely digested because the workhorse of the digestive system was not able to do its job, the food is dumped in the large colon where the microbiomes are. When the microbiomes uh, taste that, whatever is dumped over there, and some things that are supposed to be digested and removed from there are not removed, or it irritates them, and they start acting up, and sometimes the this causes inflammation. So inflammation is actually there is more to inflammation than meets the eye. So that is what causes the muscle contraction to either become very slow depending on what food you eat or become spastic because the microbiome which is like a forest of little bacteria and viruses and fungi and um, um, all kinds of microbiome in there when they get irritated it is not good um now let's see so to understand what is causing the problem? There is information going on. Sometimes that um, this in the small intestine, sometimes we do not have the enzymes that are supposed to be there to digest the food. Sometimes we may have um, enzyme deficiency. 
like in case of lactose intolerance, primary lactose intolerance, which is adult onset intolerance. Uh, there is a deficiency in lactase, which is the enzyme that di digests uh, milk sugar. Uh, sometimes you might find that there is um, less uh, other other enzymes that are supposed to digest carbohydrates like amylase, like sucrase, like um, a whole bunch of other enzymes that come from the pancreas and some are made in the small intestine. So there might be a deficiency. So that's one thing. But now, what causes the deficiency? And this is where we have to look at um, inflammation. Inflammation has five cardinal signs. Uh, when there's inflammation, there will be redness. When something is inflamed, it's, it might become red. When something is inflamed, it might become swollen. When something is inflamed, there is heat like in fever, when something is inflamed, there is pain. And we see that, you know, with this condition, definitely there is pain. And then the fifth one, which I want you to get is loss of function. Loss of function. Something is not able to do its job like it was supposed to do. So in this case, the small intestine is not working like it's supposed to. There is loss of function. And that's what we need to dig deep into because um, the state of your microbiome population has been linked with all sorts of health issues, problems um, outside the gut, including uh, heart disease, cancer in other areas other than your digestive system, asthma, and eczema. Eczema is a skin condition. So all that is going on because the small intestine is not able to do its work like it's supposed to. And now what is making it not do its work? Part of it is genetic. That's why some people are affected and other people are not affected. And then the second thing is lifestyle. And actually lifestyle will affect your microbiome. Lifestyle will affect uh, your microbiome. Uh, it will cause um, imbalance in the microbiome. It will cause bacteria overgrowth, the bad bacteria. And they're not really bad. They are there to do a job, but there is an imbalance. They're supposed to be, um, I believe there's 75 to 25%. They say good bacteria are supposed to be um, 25% and the bad ones are supposed to be, um, no, the bad ones are supposed to be 25%. The good ones are supposed to be 75%. But now when there is an imbalance, where, when there's, they say that there's bacteria overgrowth, the bad bacteria uh, increases and the good bacteria decreases. But actually the good and the bad, they kind of balance each other. They are there to do a job. But now with the bacteria overgrowth, you will find all kinds of problems happening. But then there is also that loss of function, and that is caused by inflammation. Uh, if you call me in one sentence, yes, one sentence, I can, call, I can tell you what causes inflammation. 
I know the area of information is not clearly understood. Uh, most scientists will tell you that the exact cause of information is not understood. And one of the problems we've been having, one of the problems we have with all our diseases is actually related to information. So either our in, uh, uh, the information is clonic, uh, sometimes it's um, overactive, sometimes it's underactive, sometimes it fails to function, or that, you know, uh, has a root cause. And the root cause is not food. So anyway, I am done talking, and I'll let you uh, get on to whatever you were doing before, and uh, I hope that hopefully I said something that can help you. Uh, and I wish you all the best. And I just want to say this, that the body has ability to heal itself. If you can get to the root cause, eliminate the root cause, you can heal. And even that DNA that is not probably is changing or maybe not expressing itself properly, it actually can be fixed. There is something that's called DNA repair system, <laughs> you know? DNA and your body can heal itself. Yes, it can. So God bless you. And uh, I pray that this podcast was of some help to you. Yeah.